Coming up, Ararat gets a new newspaper. The Ararat Advocate releases its first edition this Friday. A local travel agent shares her stress ensuring clients get home safely. The last post echoes across Ararat as we mark Anzac Day and we hear how the pandemic is affecting kindergartens. You're listening to Ararat's Latest with local journalist Jack Ward. Hello and welcome. It's been another big week in Ararat, especially in regards to our news landscape. I'll get to the new paper shortly, but Ararat's Latest featured in two ABC News articles and made national TV on Sunrise in the last seven days. Not quite what I was expecting when I presented last week's show, but it was great to see Ararat make the big screen. But I do definitely, I'm, I'm sure of it now, prefer asking the questions and not answering them. Although I was the only journalist with boots on the ground here in Ararat this week, there was very exciting news about a new news. Newspaper. Of course, Australian Community Media suspended the Arad Advertiser in print form just over a week ago and stood down our local journalist. And online, con- is, online content is continuing, but that is very minimal. This week, we got some good news. Pyrenees advocate publisher Craig Wilson is taking a punt and launching Arad's new paper, The Arad Advocate. It's very positive news for the community, and I'm excited to be joining Craig and the team in my first paid journalism job. I'll be writing for the paper and also continuing to host and produce Arat's latest whilst the paper is in its trial phase. I will, of course, reassess my workload and the situation once a permanent decision is made on the paper. So let's find out a bit more about this newspaper. Craig Wilson joins me now. Craig, why are you establishing a new newspaper in Ararat? Jack, that is a really good question, and the staff have been asking me the same uh, question all week. Uh, why am I actually starting a new paper? Well, I guess the, the the fact that the Ararat advertiser has decided to suspend publication for the time being uh, meant that there was a new opportunity to actually try something new for our business. Um, we've been um, I, I've been involved with the Pyrenees Advocate since 2005. I sold it for four years, and then I came back uh, just recently. And it's an opportunity for us to grow the business a little bit, but also provide an important service for the people of Ararat. I think that a quality newspaper, a quality local newspaper is a really important thing to a local community. And Ararat residents certainly do want to have a newspaper. And the, the feedback that we've had has just been sensational. The paper is going to print as a trial initially. How confident are you that it will continue after that, that eight or ten week trial? Well, the, 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 the aim at this stage is for it to be an ongoing um, publication. Um, I suppose we have to be realistic and look at it after the first couple of months to see if it actually is uh, able to pay its way. I, I'm not looking at making huge amounts of money out of it initially. I'd, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to make it a huge success instantly, but that just doesn't happen. I think that you've got to work something like that for a fair period of time before you actually see the results. But um, I, I would like it to be an ongoing um, situation. I would like it to be. Uh, established in the town with an office and with a couple of staff employed within the town and coming out at least once a week and maybe even twice a week down the track if it goes well. But at, at this stage, we're, we're going to do it weekly. Um, we've got a reasonable amount of support for our first edition and I think it will just grow from there. And the absence of any other newspaper in the marketplace, I think, means that you know we've got a reasonably good chance of, of making a, a success in, into the long term. Are you expecting the Arrow Advertiser to come back and compete? I would be surprised if they didn't come back in some way, shape or form. The Ararat Advertiser has a very long and proud history in Ararat. It's been around for 150 plus years. 
it has served the community particularly well over that period of time under, under different ownership of, of different companies. Um, I think that um, the, the, the Addy has uh, a, 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 a reputation and it has a brand name, which I don't think anybody would just throw away. So I think in some way, shape or form, it is going to come back. And I, I take the view that the, a bit of competition is, is a good thing and two players can compete side by side and, and, and both be successful. So what can locals expect from the Arad Advocate? The Arad Advocate will be probably similar to what we actually do in Pyrenees Shire with the Pyrenees Advocate. It will be full of uh, local news. It will be full of kids at school. It'll be full of uh, information about um, what people are up to in their day-to-day lives. Of course, at the moment, there's not a lot of events uh, happening around the traps, nor sporting events happening around the traps. But once um, once you see the, the reintroduction of sport and, and community events, I think that uh, we'll... we'll we'll really be able to prove what we can do. And events are such a big part of the newspaper. Like, ideally, I'd like to do 32 pages the first week, and under normal circumstances, you probably would because you'd be able to fill it up with sports news and local community events and the like. But because there isn't a lot happening at the moment, we're just going to do 24 pages just to give people a, a, you know the basic news and information about what's happening around the Ararat rural city. And if someone wants to get in touch regarding advertisement or a story, how can they go about doing that? Look, they can contact us at the office. Uh, the, we, we have an office in Beaufort in Willoughby Street. Um, the telephone number there is 53492105. Joanne Weston is the advertising lady. She kind of runs the office and, and looks after advertising for the Pyrenees Advocate, and now the Ararat Advocate. And if people are interested, we'd certainly like to hear from them. Of course, the more support we get, the more likely it is to continue well into the future. But at the end of the day, it, 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 you've got to be supported and you've got to have enough money coming through the door to pay your bills to make it all worthwhile. There has been a lot of positive uh, talk on Facebook and on social media at the moment. There is a few questions around an online presence. What's that going to look like? Look, the online presence at the moment, um, there, there is a Facebook page, which we, we set up uh, not so long ago. We actually inherited somebody else's Facebook page. So we started off with 500 likes, which was a really good thing. Um, we're looking at uh, applying for a grant through the Regional Publishers Fund for a comprehensive website with a paywall on it. So it'd be similar to what, say, the Arad Advertiser had or the, the Ballarat Courier had, where people pay for a subscription to the publication. We're looking at getting some funding for, for something like that. But even if we aren't successful with that grant application, we will definitely be putting out a, a website which certainly gives people the basic information about what's happening around the traps. It may not be uh, straight away, but I, I can guarantee you there will be a website in the, the reasonably near future. This week's Your Say poll question was, do you still buy printed newspapers? A large response this week, actually, 210 people voted. 43% of voters said they do still buy papers and 57% said they don't. The Arad Advocate will be available this Friday at local newsagents and shops. The first edition is free. The next story isn't specific to Ararat, but one that I think young people enjoy hearing from around our area. Youth Thrive Victoria is a charity with a vision that focuses on young people in Victorian rural and regional communities. The organisation has just launched a new digital initiative to achieve their goals. Vice President of Youth Thrive Victoria Alumni Committee, Sam McColl, joins me. Sam, I want to begin by asking you, what is Youth Thrive? Yeah, um, so Youth Thrive, uh, we're a charity organisation that's based in rural Victoria. Our office is in Creswick, just north of Ballarat. 
and we have we pretty much extend to the whole of rural and regional Victoria our alumni members. Our vision is that where that Victorian rural and regional communities will be thriving um, with strong input from skilled, resilient, and motivated young people. So essentially, what that translates to is that what we what we do is train young people and provide some leadership support for young people so that they can go back to their communities and back to where they're they're from um, and build up their community and make their community better. The Rural Youth Network is an online community that Youth Thrive has established recently, um, incredibly Mm. important during the time of isolation at the moment, and really why I wanted Mm. to talk to you today. What's the hope for this network? Well, we, we started the, we started thinking about this network, I would say, probably about two years ago. So it's been in the work since then, um, and it was due to be released near the end of this year. But obviously, with the coronavirus, that's, I guess, brought about a bit of a need for this um, online network. So the network, at the moment, it's, we've kind of changed it a bit to become a bit more of a support space for young rural people especially those who may have moved from their community to university and then may then be coming back to their community. At the moment, there's a lot of resources around um, well-being, around leadership, how to work some of the online systems that you may need to use with university, and really as a bit of a, a connection between young people all over rural and regional Victoria to make sure that we're not as isolated as what we kind of feel at the moment. Uh, Is there many people accessing the service yet? So at the moment, uh, it's mainly the alumni um, that have gone through uh, our Young Leaders Program. So we have around 350 alumni that have gone through the program. But at the moment, that's what we're mainly sort of doing some testing on and making sure it all works. And then, so we're trying to advertise it a little bit more to get people outside our network more involved so that we can bring them in and show them what the organisation is all about. You mentioned some of the some of the features that are on there now while this pandemic is happening. Where do you see this online community going once this is in the past? I guess when we first created the network, our goal was that it would just become a bit more of a resource hub and a bit of a, a place for yeah young rural people to connect and to share ideas and to get people involved into, I guess, network, as the name suggests. So it was more to, for those young leaders that are in the regional and rural community, to bring them together so that we can create a bit more of a community online of people sharing ideas. And um, I guess, you know, if you if you think you have a great idea sharing it with people, see if they have um, somewhere that they can fit into that idea as well. Young people can, in regional areas can feel disconnected at the best of times, as we know. How important do you think it is to ensure a sense of community, especially while we're going through the current situation, which might be increasing that angst amongst people? Absolutely, Jack. Look, I think this is it's absolutely vital to make sure that we're still connected. I don't really like the term social isolation. I prefer the term physical isolation because I think we still need to remain socially connected to our friends and to our community and making sure that we're still involved and connecting with people in everyday life. Um, So it's really important that people do stay connected. Our rural youth network is currently doing that. We're we're trying to stay connected as much as we can um, and to make sure that we're still collaborating and making sure that we're still being great leaders within our community. You can find more about the online community and other camps and scholarships by visiting youthrivevictoria.org.au. 
We've heard a lot about schools and how they are being affected at the moment, but not a lot about kindergartens. So Kerry Street Kindergarten Director Cara Bartlett is on the line to explain what life is like trying to keep children physically distanced. Cara, what is your education looking like during this pandemic? Uh, So our advice from the state government has been for kindergartens and early childhood services to operate as normal so we can continue to run. Um, However, there's been lots of different um, minimisation procedures, risk minimisation procedures that we've had to put into place to actually make it a safe environment for the children and for families as well. Has the different advice been given for schools and then kindergartens made it a bit confusing? Um, It has been confusing. I know a lot of our families have found that confusing because a lot of them have children who are at school and so they're um, wondering why are their school-aged children kept at home. Um, However, their kindergarten-aged children can go to kindergarten. And I guess that's been challenging for the children as well. So um, some children are choosing to stay at home. Some families are keeping to children keep their children at home because um, their older siblings are at home and it doesn't really make sense for any of them if their um, younger sibling is still going to kindergarten while they're staying home from school. Uh, So yeah, I guess it's been sort of a mixed message and a bit challenging for everyone to make sense of. Definitely. And what are the numbers looking like at the moment? Are you quite down in numbers? Um, So we're probably running at about half. We have 22 children that would come to our four-year-old group. Last week, we had 12 children. We built up to 13 um, on Monday and by today, we had 14 children coming. So uh, it is starting to build up and I think it's probably, you know, families have been at home together for a long time. So if they're able to have one child perhaps head off to kindergarten for a few hours, it does give them the opportunity to focus on their children who might be learning from home um, school age. Uh, Yeah, just giving themselves a bit of a break. And of course, we have some parents who are working as well, so really need that service offered to them. When parents are dropping their kids off, are they expressing their concerns? Well, I guess that's been one of our main changes that we've had to implement in the fact that parents actually are no longer able to come into the service. So that's limiting our contact with parents. We've been regularly communicating with them by email and phone. However, um, some of the risk minimisation um, procedures that we've had to put in place is meaning that families can't come into the kindergarten. So we actually meet the children at the gate and we'll take them from their parents. We get a chance to perhaps say a quick hello, but because because we're trying to do the social distancing um, and make the process happen as quickly as possible so parents aren't waiting for too long, um, our, our contact with parents has been limited. Speaking of social and physical distancing, is that really possible at a kindergarten when it comes to the kids? Oh, that's been probably the most challenging, I guess. And one way that we're trying to combat that is that we're running the program mostly outdoors. So the children will arrive at kindergarten, they go straight into the bathroom and wash their hands with warm soapy water and then we head outside and we spend the majority of our day outside because that does um, allow for the children to have more space to move around in. Um, However, they they're still hands-on and you know when a child falls over they still need comforting um, so it is it has been challenging however we have our um, experiences set up so that there will only be two children at a table we're staggering our lunch and morning tea time so they're eating um, not as a whole group together but instead in small groups when we sit down to have a mat time we've actually marked out 
spots for the children to sit that are 1.5 metres apart. And, and we have talked a lot with them about how it's important for everyone to stay safe by keeping a safe distance. And what about for you, the staff? You're obviously dealing with these kids, as you say, comforting them very quite in close proximity and not abiding by mm. the social distancing as well. Are you concerned about your own health? Um, I guess for us, uh, that was some of our initial concerns. However, we're very um, aware of good hygiene practices at the moment. So we're doing hourly hand washing. Um, you know, we're going home at the end of the day and we need to wash our uniform in warm, soapy water, including our shoes. So so there's lots of hygiene practices that we're putting in place. And I guess also the risk to us at the moment is not so real here in Ararat. So, you know, that, that might possibly change if suddenly we had the virus um, running rampant through Ararat. But at the moment, I guess we feel kind of safe at the moment. Yeah, sure. And uh, what are the kids saying? I know there's been lots of programs like the play school that have been running programs trying to educate kids about what's going on because life is so different. What are they saying to you at the kindergarten? Yeah, so the children are certainly aware of the virus and it's something that we have um, talked about with them and we've got some good resources, picture storybooks that are aimed at young children um, to explain what the virus is. I guess the biggest thing for children is they are commenting on how it's affecting them. So it's things like not being able to go and visit grandma and grandpa. And another big one is that we've had a few children that have had birthdays, so they've missed out on having birthday parties. It's um, not being able to go down to the park and play on the playground. So they are the things that are really sticking in the children's mind, is the things that they're, they're not able to do. So one family had actually come up with a great idea, though, of um, putting the ideas of things that they want to be doing to write down that idea and popping it into a jar and saying, we'll do this once the virus is gone. So that's something to look forward to. So they're not missing out. It's something that will come down the track. On Saturday morning at 6am, locals across the municipality stood at the end of their driveways or on their verandas to remember those who have served and died for Australia in war, conflicts and peacekeeping operations. Musicians played the last post in a number of neighbourhoods, including kids. The music echoed across town and Christos Plunkett was up bright and early after practising in the days beforehand. Across town, Jack Bartlett also joined in, allowing his neighbourhood in Churchill Avenue to pay their respects. A small ceremony with no crowd took place at the Ararat Cenotaph at 10am. Moiston's David Cosgriff played the last post whilst the flags were raised. John Kavanagh then played the battle's oa on the bagpipes. A number of local organisations and individuals also laid wreaths throughout the day. 
have a story? Are you or someone you know holding a community event? I want to know what you know about local issues and upcoming events. Contact Ararat's Latest via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or email ararat'slatest at gmail.com. Your story may instigate a community discussion, help a local organisation and importantly, keep locals informed. Travel agents have been left with no business caused by the heavy restrictions on both domestic and international travel. Emma Coburn owns her own locally based travel agency called Eat, Pray, Love Travel and has spent the last two months working unpaid, postponing and cancelling upcoming trips and ensuring her clients overseas got back home safely before lockdown restrictions were implemented. Emma is with me now. The current situation means you've got no work. What does that mean for you? For me, the past two to three months really has been a bit trying. Um, It means that all the work that I've spent for the last year getting customers, trips organised, I've literally had to undo everything from start to finish, like cancel airfares, you know, cancel accommodations with some. I've been lucky. My customers are very considerate. They they are trying to postpone their trips. So instead of cancelling everything, I have been contacting the hotels and seeing if they're willing to move the um, accommodation to a different date, um, which helps because a lot of people do go non-refundable bookings and in times like these, they're still non-refundable. And yeah, just to try to reap back any money that the customers might lose has been a bit trying. And um, yeah, I take everything to heart. So for me, you know, my customer's money is my money and I don't want to lose anyone's money in the long run. Yeah, but no doubt very stressful as well. Oh, very stressful. I had a lot of sleepless nights. March seemed to drag on forever. Yeah, and it's hard. Everyone's struggling so much as well with all their businesses and, yeah, travel agents oh, especially because you have you can't remodel. <laughs> you've got nothing. No, no, exactly. I, I'm, I'm looking at other um, businesses around Ararat going, oh, that's great. They can, you know, they can go online and they can do mm. this. And they can. I'm sitting here going... Um, I'll just wait it out. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's I, I can't really say to them, um, yeah, no worries. We can we can rebook for in July because we still don't know what July is going to bring. We we're basically at a waiting game with the government to when we can even you know travel for leisure or travel for business because I, I have business customers as well, and at the moment they're you know they're not traveling to Melbourne and staying overnight for a couple of days or. Sydney or anything like that. So to to that point, I yeah, it's it's just a waiting game to when I may be able to um, start business up again, really. And as well as cancelling and postponing those future plans, you've also been having to bring um, your customers back from all parts of the world, haven't you? Yes, I the the day that the government um, announced that they were locking down the borders of Australia, I had a customer in Uganda and. I basically had a phone call first thing on the nine o'clock on the Wednesday morning. I hadn't even listened to the news yet. And I had their family basically saying, we need him home now. <laughs> and I'm like going, okay. So I spent the whole day basically trying to figure out how, one, to get him home at short notice to organise the, the reissue of the ticket. Um, and then when we had all that organised, he, he got to Singapore and his flight from Singapore to Melbourne was cancelled, so we then had to get onto Qantas and get it reissued. And he ended up flying Singapore, Sydney to Melbourne, and did get home just in time for the the lockdown at nine o'clock on the Friday night. So it was it was a stressful couple of days that one. 
Yeah, I can I can only imagine. And you said to me that you're seeing many media reports on travel agencies that people aren't getting a full picture of what's what you're actually having to deal with as well. Why do you say that? I say that because I, I'm watching news programs and they're reporting on customers that are angry with the travel agencies for charging them a cancellation fee because a lot of places at the moment are allowing for change of date. And, and they're waiving those fees for cancellation fees. If the customer doesn't want to travel at all or they don't want to take the, the change of date waiver fee, um, they can cancel, but it then puts a cost onto the travel agency. So a lot of places might charge $300 per person to cancel your trip. Now, that that's actually covering that business for you know, the cost of employing the staff because a lot of these bigger agencies, they employ the staff. They have to pay them the hourly minimum rate to have them. Um, so if they don't charge those fees, they're, they're literally going to lose their business at the, at the end of the day. I'm, I'm lucky enough that I'm a one-person show, so I don't have the overhead of, you know, a payroll or anything like that. But I am literally working for free and I have been for the last, three months really because we don't get paid unless you know the trip goes ahead so we we all work on commission so from from the airline to you know transfers to accommodation we get paid a percentage of what the customer pays we get paid that back in commission but it's not received until the trips actually happen so yeah without without those fees being charged that the customer you know, the travel agent is actually working for free. So that's why I, I think it's unfair for customers to sort of go, we're going to cancel it all. We don't want to pay the cancellation fee. You, you're basically expecting that person to have worked, you know, four, five, six hours worth of putting your trip together for no money. And, it, you know, you wouldn't want to work, you know, in a bakery for six hours and get paid no wage. So I just think people need to be a bit more consider it in people's time and realize the amount of work that it does take to put some of these trips together it's yeah it's not an easy job really we'll hear from emma again next week she'll share some advice for those who might still have holidays booked and also what she thinks will happen in the coming months in regards to travel That brings me to the end of this week's show. Thank you for joining me. Remember, you can listen to all past episodes on all podcasting apps. The Hour at Advocate is out this Friday. Be sure to pick up your free copy, in my opinion, and it might be a little biased. This is definitely the time to support local journalism. See you next week. This was Arat's latest. Listener.